Greetings, brethren. What a tremendous privilege it is to be a part of the 2017 Feast of Tabernacles. Some of you are at home, maybe not able to attend because of illness, but others watching from a feast site. And you know, the most exciting thing about, of course, the whole Feast of Tabernacles is the realization that you and I have an opportunity to be a part of the future family of God, an actual son of God. So we look forward to eight days of strong spiritual meat each year, a lot of joyful fellowship uh, with the brethren, uh, people of like mind, and we're ready to rejoice, and we're commanded to rejoice, but we have a lot of reason to rejoice. We anticipate the coming kingdom of God and all that it means, and we look at it in more detail, and it becomes real to us. It's, it's like vision. We can see it in our mind's eye. And we have so much to be thankful for as we look forward to the feast and the coming kingdom of God. But you know, in contrast, on the world scene, it's a a different setting. There are huge concerns. There are worries. The future economy of the nations. Continual moral slide on every level in our nation and among other nations. The threat of terrorism is increasing, as we know. And, of course, there's the ramping up of the threat of war around the globe year by year. But we, in contrast, have a bright vision of the coming kingdom of God. We have that view, that real view of God's kingdom, and we know there will be times in the future, uh, there will be upheavals in our midst in society over the next few years. They'll be serious. They'll be real. And some of that chaos and some of that trauma will affect us. It can't help but affect us. We're human beings in the real world, and we're part of a society, even though we don't want to be ultimately part of that society, but we're in society. And yes, we do know, of course, that God will protect his his children. So that's a given. That's a promise. But we also know that we are part of the society that will impact us, the economy, uh, so many other aspects of Satan's system that we see. It's around us, and of course, we need to be prepared. For these eight days, over the eight days of the Feast of Tabernacles and the last great day, we have the blessing to separate ourselves somewhat from society, at least to a degree. Mentally, emotionally, we separate ourselves, and we can rejoice before God as we anticipate, we think about the arrival of the coming kingdom of God in a few short years. It's our reality. It's reality on this planet. So we know there is a bright beaming light at the end of that tunnel, the coming kingdom of God. And the question I'd like to ask today is, How do we prosper? How do we prosper in this time at the end of the age, coming world chaos and trauma right before Christ's return? We know that so many things are going to happen. We know the prophecies. We can see Scripture. We know that the tribulation, the day of the Lord is coming. How do we maintain a positive spirit in troubled times? I think that's something that we need to think about as we prepare for the kingdom of God. One of my favorite scriptures, and possibly one of your favorite scriptures, is in Jeremiah. Let's start in Jeremiah chapter 29, and also in verse 11. Jeremiah chapter 29, and verse 11. And God is speaking to us, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Eternal, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Isn't that reassuring? And then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Now, that's a promise that we can stand on, we can count on, and our God is with us. The title of the sermon is Hope for the Future. So I'd like to look at ways that we can mentally, emotionally, spiritually prosper in the immediate years ahead. 
in the very transition years to the coming kingdom of God, a time of unique occurrences, more unique than anything that's happened in all of human history. And we need to be prepared to weather the storms in the remaining few years before Christ's return, which will eventually lead to the great tribulation and to the day of the Lord, and then finally to the coming kingdom of God. Perhaps one of the best analogies, I think, for us to remember is that of childbirth, which we've all experienced in one way or another. For nine long months, there is great anticipation. You know, a couple has been planning for this child, uh, but yet time goes by, month after month goes by. There's great anti- anticipation. And as the time draws near, there's a lot of preparation. Uh, a couple plants for the new birth. Baby clothes are washed. They're gotten ready for the new arrival. Uh, the room's probably prepared. Everything is gotten ready. Plans for the hospital trip, if, if it is a hospital trip, are made. A bag is packed and made ready. It's an exciting time for, uh, for the parents and for the family. It's father and mother. They wait for the little newborn bundle of love. Great anticipation. They look forward to that new life. And then come some early preparatory contractions that occurred during the last month, the last uh, few weeks and days. These are not full-blown birth contractions that will occur later at the very end, but they're preparatory contractions that get the mother ready for the birth, getting her prepared for the birth, her body for the birth. The signals the time of delivery as we get closer. The birth is nearing as we get closer day by day. And it's an exciting time, exciting time for a couple. Maybe this is the firstborn. Maybe there are others looking forward to a tiny new little baby in the expanding family. It's also a time of a little bit of trepidation as especially the mother realizes that she will soon be going through the experience of actually giving birth, the contractions, an element of the unknown, and an element of pain as well. You know, brethren, we're in the very early stages of the birth process in our own life. We've been begotten by the great God. Hopefully, we've been growing spiritually, and we need to grow. We need to continue to form the very character and mind of God. But yet, we're not born into the family of God yet. At this moment in time, this life is like gestation for a real life, spiritual life yet to come. And, you know, in the meantime, there's still need for more growth in our lives, each of us. We need to grow spiritually, develop more of the mind of God, become more mature so God can trust us, so God can use us in his family, ultimately to help so many others in the millennium to enter God's family uh, in the future. So currently, we may be experiencing, even around us, some very early preparatory contractions. The real labor pains have not started yet, but we definitely are getting closer. Uh, Month by month, year by year, we're getting closer to the birth. And to be born, there will be labor pains. That goes with the territory. But this is the only route to birth, as we know it. Physically and spiritually, it's the only route. And we're waiting, and we're waiting, and we're waiting for delivery. So we experience, I would say, a mixture of trepidation. There's always a little bit of unknown, a, a slight level of fear possibly, but we can overcome that. You know, we don't know exactly what's ahead of us, let's say, day by day. We know the big plan of God. We know the picture but we don't know day by day. But we can also experience an overwhelming sense of confidence and joy because we know the outcome is the birth process itself, birth into the family of God. So let's look at ways that we can cope with some anxiety. You know, it's only human to have a certain level of anxiety, maybe a little bit of fear, maybe quite a bit of fear depending on our mindset. But we can cope, and we can even mentally, emotionally, spiritually prosper in the immediate 
years ahead of us as we prepare for that transition of the birth process leading into the kingdom of God as full-born sons of God. So we're going to look at ways then that we can cope and prosper in the years ahead. There's always going to be unknowns, but we have definite promises that we can count on. We have principles that God's word holds out to us, and we can have total and complete confidence in our God if we're with him, if we're close to him. So first of all, number one, when we face fears in the years ahead and things will occur, whether it's in our own finances, there can be troubles in society. Some people may even lose jobs or it could be our health. All of us have health issues from time to time. Maybe even our safety as we get a little further along. It's time to fully seek and take refuge in our God, to take refuge as our security in the great God. Sometimes when we face a new fear, it just comes to light. It just dawns on us what we're facing. We forget to do the obvious, and that's true probably for all of us. We can get so busy maybe with our fear. What's going to happen? What's going to happen to me? What's the outcome or whatever? That in the end, we forget again the obvious, and that is we forget to take our fear to God. We may be thinking, how am I going to cope? Why me? And those kinds of thoughts sometimes keep us from taking that concern immediately to the great God. And, of course, that is where our security is. We might say that the perceived reality, if we allow it, the perceived reality of our fear at the moment can be greater than our realization of God, than God himself at the moment. And, of course, when that happens, of course, we need to kind of take stock and realize, wait a minute, God is greater. He's in charge. I'm his child, begotten child. He's concerned about me. I need to move closer to God. I need to fully seek and take refuge in our God, in my God, in your God. So immediately, when a fear sneaks up on us, it's time to seek God. No matter what it is, we take it to God. It's time to move closer to God. Now, God doesn't move away from us. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes we move a little bit away from God. Maybe it's our fear that distracts us. But it's always time to take stock, move closer to God. That should be the first thought. Now, we know King David had an abundance of fears. Realistically, in his life, they were real. He had a father-in-law, tried to hunt him down, kill him. Uh, it was tough. His son Absalom, as well, tried to overthrow him. And those were real. They weren't imaginary. They were real fears. And, of course, King David at times was even surrounded by his enemies. So he had real fears and worries and concerns. But David quickly learned to seek God in the face of fear. And that should be the first thing we think of. Let's turn to Psalm 27. Psalm 27, and we'll see some of David's response in the face of fear. Ultimately, it should be the same thing that we think of as we face little fears, big fears, whatever we perceive. Psalm 27 and verse 1. 27.1. And verse 1. The Lord is my light. In other words, he illuminates my mind. He settles me. He gives me the truth and my salvation, my protection, salvation, protection from death, uh, even eternal life and time. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Then David asked the question in that context, whom shall I fear? You know, do I fear God or do I fear man? or sometimes even even enemies. The Lord is the strength of my life. Hopefully that's true. It should be true. The strength of our life, our reality, 
Of whom shall I be afraid? When you compare the greatness of God to the dangers in our life, God is so much more powerful and capable, providing, protecting, intervening, and settling us and calming us. Of whom shall I be afraid? In verse 2, when the wicked came against me, and this could be even our own fears and worries or perceived enemies, to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes. And again, this could be for us simply a worry or a fear or a trouble. They stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, uh, generally we don't have armies. It could be in the future, but a major problem in our life. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. In other words, I know reality. I know the true God. He is powerful. He is greater than my problem. Though war may rise against me, in this will I be confident. In other words, I make the decision. I'm going to be confident in the great God. I'm going to trust him, and I'm going to place my fear on God. I'm going to allow him to carry that fear. Verse 5. We're in a time of trouble, and we all have troubles, sometimes small, sometimes big. He shall hide me in his pavilion in the secret place of his tabernacle. In other words, in God's comfort and his care, his protection, he shall hide me and he shall set me high upon a rock. And of course, David is thinking here as a warrior and at a high position up on a rock or a cliff, you look down and you're more secure, especially if you're hidden high upon a rock. And that was the security that David felt when he put his fears and he trusted his God above his enemies. And he feared God in the right sense as opposed to the personal fears that crept into his life or into our life as well. You know, this applied to David's time of trouble and applies to our times of trouble, no matter how big, how small. We can't allow small fears to be discarded or or swallowed. We still need to take them to God. We need to deal with them, not stuff them, but deal with them. And in this verse, David reminds us that we have a place to go when we're fearful. Sometimes we don't think about it. But we go to our defender, our protector, our creator. You know, years ago, when our four children were small, and we lived at that time in Arkansas, and in northern rural Arkansas, uh, it was prone to a lot of thunderstorms and sometimes even tornadoes, tornado warnings, tornado watches, and there would be thunder and lightning at times. And sometimes in the middle of the night, as you'd hear the thunder uh, rolling, uh, sometimes all four of our children would find themselves out of their own bedrooms into our bedroom, my wife and I, and they crawl into bed. So there were six of us. Now, the last one was probably at a disadvantage. You know, not much room at the foot of the bed. But you know how that how that goes. That in reality, you get close to something bigger than you, and you have a little more sense of security. And, of course, you settle down. And as a child, maybe you go back to sleep. Well, it's the same principle with God. Uh, when the emotional thunder rolls, whatever the case may be, when it brings fear into our life, the first thing we should think of is taking refuge in our God. Sometimes we don't think about it. Sometimes we overlook it. We try to handle everything ourselves. But God is the one to take our fears to. Psalm 32, over a few pages, Psalm 32 and verse 6. 32, verse 6. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely, in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. You know, it's not always literal water, could be, but troubles kind of flood over us sometimes, and we can go near God. Verse 7. You are my hiding place. 
You shall preserve me from trouble, and you shall surround me with the songs of deliverance. You know, that's true no matter what our situation is, no matter how big, how small, whether there's a logical outcome or there's no logical outcome of our immediate problem. I know of a older widow who lives in one of our church areas in her 90s, and she is, for all practical purposes, spending the rest of her years in, uh, in bed, really immobile, unable to get around. Um, you know, she doesn't have a lot to look forward to in this physical life, but yet she's looking forward to her change, her birth, the resurrection, or the change if that comes when she's still alive, the kingdom of God. And that's what settles her in her remaining years, in her 90s. And she's had that in her mind, in her vision, all the years of her life since she's been in the truth. And that settles her, and that comforts her. And the same thing can apply to us in so many ways. David continually sought God for the solution of all his fears, and he was delivered time after time after time. Psalm 34, over another chapter, page or two, and verse 4. I, I sought the Lord, and he heard me. And you know, that's true for us always. If we're seeking God in truth, God will hear. He doesn't reject his children. He doesn't close his ears. He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. You know, what a blessing to know that can be true in our life. And verse 6, this poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him. And that can be us. There can be times when we need God's help. We might cry out, and God will hear us. And saved him out of all his troubles. God will do that. He doesn't always intervene immediately. But if we have confidence in God, we trust him, or we rely on him, we don't panic. We don't, to use the term, freak out. We trust God. We look to God. And it says, and saved him out of all his troubles. How encouraging is that when we think about that type of assurance? Verse 7, now the angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him. We may not see angels of God, but they're there, very powerful spirit beings. And it says, and they deliver us, and delivers them. So we have that assurance. We have that confidence that those angels, they look after us, they serve us. That is, if we're trusting God, if we're relying on God, we have that level of confidence. You know, some might say, well, you know, that's in Psalms. That was, that was for the king of Israel. That was a Psalm of David. Those were Bible times. Well, these are Bible times that we're talking about that we're living in today, the end of the age. Uh, we're living in the time of the book of Revelation. These are Bible times, and God is working with us as potential firstborn sons of God who will be literal kings in God's kingdom. If we endure, if we're faithful, just as much as David, you know, we're just as much potentially a son of God as David, God has in Intention for all of us to be successful, to be firstborn sons of God, brothers of Christ. That is, if we remain faithful, if we have that kind of confidence, God will be there for us. And so when we have those concerns and fears, we should fully seek God and take refuge in God in the years ahead. And number two, in a sense, then, we must walk by faith and not by sight. Now, obviously, this is not a new concept, but sometimes we don't apply it. We have to be walking by faith, the knowledge of the unseen. We don't see God at the moment, but we've proven his reality. We've experienced God. We walk by faith rather than sight. Sight is what's happening right now around us. Sometimes we have issues, our bank account, you know, our neighbors, the job, whatever. That's walking by sight, and we all walk by sight. 
But we also have to function, live, walking by faith. And if we don't walk by faith, then we're overwhelmed with the here and the now. We don't have an out. Last year in the United States, the United States of America observed the 15th anniversary of the horrendous 9-11 terror attacks. And uh, we all remember that. Following the collapse of the World Trade Center in New York City, September 11, 2001, amazingly, maybe amazingly not, church attendance across the country in the Protestant churches, Catholic churches, dramatically increased. All of a sudden, people got serious. They got religious. And when people fear, they start seeking outside help. Millions witnessed, even on television, the death of almost 3,000 people, as we know. And it generated a great deal of fear, anxiety, and so many began to temporarily feel the need to contact God. We know how that goes in society. When there is trauma, tribulation, people start needing a Savior, a God. But you know, it only lasts for a little while. Surveys indicated that church attendance dropped quickly. Uh, it was back down to the normal level within a few months. People forget their fear. People forget God. They forget reality, the true God as well. So in one sense, you might say the average person, the average person, the average American, the average person on the planet walks by sight. Whatever is happening now in our life, that takes our focus. It's what we see. It's what we react to. It is our reality rather than by faith, which is the unseen, but the reality of the great God, the laws of God you can't see. You know, the spiritual laws are invisible, but real. The physical laws of the universe are equally real, but invisible. And we have to recognize that. You know, we need to walk by faith, confidence in the unseen, a proven reality of the great God, his laws, his plan, his purpose. The sight of that massive destruction motivated people temporarily by fear to try to find God, whatever image of God they thought they had. But a year later, that sight, that memory faded, that sight of the collapse of the Twin Towers had dimmed, and people went back to walking by Sight, what's happening now in my life, you know, the job, my health, neighbors, this, that, and the other, without any thought about the unseen, about the all-powerful God, what is coming, about truth. God's people, though, we should be different. We are different in so many ways. We should be able to walk by faith, as we find in Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter 5. And verse 7, in verse 7, it says, For we walk by faith, meaning, if we have God's Spirit, if we trust God, we don't just walk by what's happening at the moment in our life. We could, but that's not the way to success. We walk by faith, not by sight. You know, we keep in mind God, His plan, our future. The potential to be a literal son of God, a real son of God. We walk by faith. We, we don't see the kingdom of God. We don't see God at the moment. But it's real to us. We've proven it. It's our reality. So we walk by faith, not by sight. We're not controlled by what's happening right now at the moment. We're not controlled fully, even though we're affected by it. And it's something we have to keep in mind. And it's something we have to continually look at, work at in our life. Verse 1 of chapter 5 of Second Corinthians. Go up to verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, and part of the theme of the Feast of Tabernacles, we're temporary, our bodies are temporary. Now, they're not designed, they're not programmed to last forever. We know that this house, this tent, is destroyed. If it is, we have a building from God. We have something else, a house not made with hands, 
very powerful spiritual body, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed. As we go through life, we get injuries, sometimes sickness, people age, people look forward to something better. You know, a new, bo- a new model, a new body, a spirit body. Earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. Having received God's spirit, we shouldn't be spiritually naked. We need to build character. We need to build, in a sense, permanence in our life. For we who are in this tent, uh, in this tent, this physical structure, we groan. Life's tough sometimes. Being burdened, we all are from time to time. Not because we want to be unclothed, not because we want to be unclothed or want to die, but further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up by life. We become immortal, and we have permanence, and we have that assurance, that permanence. You know, that's something that we can look forward to if we walk by faith. That's our priority. Now, we have to deal with the present. We have to deal with what is around us. We call that sight, what happens around us. That is true. We all have to live in the present. But what motivates us and what directs us is faith, is confidence in the kingdom of God, in our God, in our future that God offers us. Incredible motivation that we can have as a result. You and I know the future. At least we have the outline. We have the book of Revelation, so many other, so many other prophecies. We have the prophets. We know about the tribulation, the day of the Lord. We know about economic collapse of this nation, other nations. We know about World War III. We know about so many things that will occur. The return of Jesus Christ, the coming kingdom of God. So my point is, we don't have every detail, but we know the outline. We know the road map. My point is, can't we live our lives with a sheer knowledge of what is to come, what is to come to pass, and our need to stay close to God? Can't we walk by faith rather than just sight? Can't we walk by faith right now before things begin to happen? Or do we need the evidence of literally seeing our societies collapse or bombs falling in our cities before getting ourselves spiritually in gear? Can't we walk by faith now rather than waiting to see things happening? Do we really need to walk by sight before really believing God? And acting upon it. Notice Christ's warning to us at the end of the age in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, and we'll start in verse 1. In verse 1, and this is a message to us, those who would be firstborn, those who are firstfruits and will be firstborn if we stay with it and we remain faithful. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, five of them were wise and five were foolish. You know, people who are called of God and and even converted, sometimes people aren't fully motivated. Sometimes they coast. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. It's a symbolic of being close to God, of having God's spirit, at least seeking more of God's spirit, God's character, his direction, kind of doing things on their own. But the wise took oil and their vessels with their lamps. They stayed close to God, you know, being empowered by God's spirit more so, walking by faith, not just by sight. But while the bridegroom was delayed, verse 5, they all slumbered and slept. Um, You know, that's true. Sometimes all of us drift a little bit. And at midnight, a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. We're kind of reminded we need to wake up. We need to get real. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Of course, we know this is an analogy. 
for our lamps are going out. We, we haven't been close enough to God. We've been walking by sight, not by faith. Help us. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. Uh, a lesson for all of us. Verse 10, And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, Christ returned, and those who were ready went in with him, the change, the resurrection, to the wedding, and a door was shut. You know, again, it, it is a warning to us who would be firstborn that we need to be ready. We need to be walking by faith, not just waiting as we see something, you know, dangers that motivate us. And afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I don't know you. It's like saying he spewed him out of his mouth. Verse 13, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. This is the clear indication that we can't wait until Christ is virtually at the door to get serious, to walk by faith. We can't wait. It, it will be too late if we wait. We have to be empowered by God's Spirit today. And if we're empowered today, we will be tomorrow if we stick with it when we walk by faith. Luke 21. Luke chapter 21. Let's turn to Luke 21 and verse 33. In verse 33. Heaven and earth will pass away. Well, the earth is going to be remade in due time. That's true. But my words, in other words, Christ was saying that his words, his prophecies, the plan of God will by no means pass away. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness. Hopefully that doesn't apply to any of us. But, you know, we can get distracted. Things happen. We get our mind on other things. And the cares of this life, maybe our career is more important to us, or we want to build an estate or whatever. And that day, well, that, that day could be the day of the Lord. That day could also be Christ's return. Come on you unexpectedly. In other words, we're not ready. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth that day. Verse 36. Now, the warning. Watch, therefore, and pray always. In other words, we should be in that mode, not drift off from God and take a vacation and assume that we can just contact God once a week, maybe on the Sabbath. Pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things, meaning protection, tribulation, the day of the Lord, and that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. You know, to stand before the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, means that we're physically protected and we're spiritually worthy. So it's physical salvation in a sense. We're protected. And, of course, ultimately, it's spiritual salvation, eternal life in time. And it's both if we're ready, if we watch, if we prepare ahead of time as God expects. So we want to be worthy to escape now, not five years from now, but it has to be now. We grow in character today, not hopefully in the future. Who knows? Will we get around to it? It's today. So we have to be close to God now. That's the purpose. We walk by faith. We see the big picture. We understand what's coming. We don't walk by sight, meaning we wait until things get tough and dangerous, and then we think we need God. And... We experience the trauma of what society is going to experience. Hebrews chapter, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 10. We know this chapter, but it's another reminder. We've got to be ready. We've got to have the big picture. We've got to have the vision. We've got to mentally walk by faith to see the future. Hebrews 11 and verse 10. And by faith he, meaning Abraham, dwelt in the land of promise. Faith is really rock-solid confidence. 
in the great God and the reality of God and his word. He's good for his word. He keeps his word. He dwelt in a land of promise as in a foreign country, was foreign to him, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Verse 10 now. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. What city was that? Um, ancient Jerusalem? No. It's still looking into the future. The new Jerusalem. Uh, out beyond the first resurrection and the other resurrections. So Abraham had a mental picture of the heavenly city of New Jerusalem, the headquarters of the universe. Incredible. Verse 13, that motivated him. That was walking by faith, even though he couldn't see it. Even though he couldn't see it physically, he could see it mentally. Verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received that promise, but having seen them afar off. It's like in their mind. You can see the kingdom of God. It's real to you. They were assured of them. They were confident. They weren't doubtful, hopeful, maybe. They embraced them. We're talking about the things of God, the kingdom of God. When you embrace something, what do you do? You hold it close to you. You know, you're attached like a child or a loved one. They embraced them and they confessed. They talked often that they were pilgrims and strangers, strangers and pilgrims on the earth. It's like saying, hey, you know, we're physical, but we're temporary. We've got a better future. And we're living for the future. So they were pilgrims. They were just passing through in a sense. Limited lifespan. They were looking forward to the coming kingdom of God. They had that kind of vision, that kind of mental image, mental picture as well. So that is something that God reassures us with. If we walk by faith rather than sight, that we have that confidence. That It gives us courage. It gives us reassurance. And number three... As we walk by faith, God will fight our battles. That is, if we're close to him, if we allow him to be close to us, we move closer to God, we really don't have anything to fear. Now, that may be easier said than done, but, you know, if we trust God, Scripture says in perfect love there is no fear. That may be hard to figure, but when we're really close to God and we're connected to God, you know, our fears, we may still have some, but they slowly begin to melt over the months and years. If we're closer to God, we become more stable, more consistent. We have fewer big fears in our life. We know God's there. We can trust him. Uh, we're going to see it through. Let's look at one uh, courageous example in Second Chronicles, uh, concerning Judah under King Jehoshaphat, he walked by faith. And it's a lesson for us in a time of tremendous danger, and God rewarded him greatly. Second Chronicles chapter 20, chapter 20, and let's begin in verse 1. Chapter 20, verse 1, It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them, besides the Ammonites, came to battle against Jehoshaphat. And some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you. So this was personal. It was also national. But, you know, you might say the buck stopped here with Jehoshaphat. Coming against you from beyond the sea from Syria, and they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Gedi. And, uh, you know, big trouble. Can you imagine being in that position? Uh, we're not talking about little things or losing a job. We're talking about losing life. And a uh, huge problem. Verse 4. Well, verse 3. And Jehoshaphat feared. Now, it doesn't mean he was shaking in his boots. Well, he was probably fearful. But he, he also feared God, different kind of fear. He trusted God. He sought God aggressively. And he set himself to seek the Lord, the eternal. First thing he thought of, okay, move closer to God. 
I got problems, big problems. And he proclaimed the fast. He was a leader throughout all Judah. You know, pretty, pretty impressive leadership here when you, when you think about it. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the eternal. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. So, so Jehoshaphat inspired them all. And they, as a, as a whole, came to seek God. It was impressive. What leadership. Now, verse 12, part of Jehoshaphat's prayer, verse 12. O our God, will you not judge them, in other words, our enemies, for we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us. Yeah, that's the way it is often in our life. We, we don't always have the resources to overcome things against us, nor do we know what to do. We don't know how to figure it out. Often that happens to us. But our eyes are upon you. Now, that's called faith. They couldn't see God, but they began to trust God. Our eyes are upon you. Verse 15. <clears throat> and here's God's prophet in response. And he said, Listen, all you Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Eternal to you, do not be afraid. In other words, have courage. Get a hold of yourself. Nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but it's God's. God chose to take the battle for them. Tomorrow, go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz. And he told them about uh, what would happen there in the wilderness, verse 17. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. In other words, God's going to physically save you, who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. You know, what incredible reassurance. God delivered Judah in that case without them virtually lifting a finger. You know, brethren, is our mindset this way? Are we willing to fully trust God, even though we have to do our part in most cases or all cases, even going to God? But are we willing to fully trust God and allow him to fight our battles in a journey ahead? We're going to have things that we're going to need in God's intervention. Are we willing to trust him? Let's look at one example, future-specific example in Revelation 12. And verse 12, in time fulfillment, Revelation 12, 12, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you. That's a very great time of trouble having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. Verse 13, Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child, physical Israel. But the woman, speaking here now of the spiritual Israel, was given two wings of a great eagle. In other words, God's provision, however he does that, that she might fly into the wilderness to her place. Notice it says place, uh, singular, where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent, three and a half years. Verse 15, so the serpent spewed water out of his mouth, whether it's literal water or a flood uh, or a flood of an army, so the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood. God uses nature and a sinkhole or whatever God uses, swallows the flood, the waters or the armies, which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, enraged that 
And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. Now these, in verse 17, whom Satan goes after, are God's children. They're walking by sight. They're not walking by faith. And they seek God only when the pressure is on. You might say they are lukewarm in spirit. They're not walking by faith today. Well, this assurance that God is there for us continually, if we want it, if we seek him, is found in so many scriptures, even Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 reminds us of that. Let's look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 38. Paul says to the Romans, verse 38, For I am persuaded... And neither death nor life, nor angels or principalities or powers, whatever it may be, nor things present nor things to come, and they will come in our life in the years ahead, nor height or depth, he gets a little poetic here, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, meaning God's protection is oversight of us as his children from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if we're walking close, closely with God, there is absolutely no power in the universe strong enough to separate us from God, from that protection, not even Satan, not even his demons, things seen, things unseen. We have that confidence. Let's notice one more scripture that could very well have its greatest fulfillment in a time of the end as we are led out of society. Uh, those who are are faithful and true and Philadelphian and on fire. They're led out of society in a very crumbling time uh, of organized society. Psalm 91. Psalm 91, and we'll begin in verse 1. Probably its greatest fulfillment at that time as God protects his own. Psalm 91, verse 1. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, those who are close to God, who have His protection, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And nothing can can separate us. And I will say of the Eternal, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him I will trust. That level of confidence can be ours. And verse 3. Surely he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. And that's symbolic of uh, one who traps birds. And again, this can readily be reflective of the time when God leads his children out of society before the tribulation, those who will be protected. He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. We know there will be perilous pestilences. There will be virus bacteria that will sweep the planet. There will be no antibiotics that will affect many of these bacteria. Of course, virus are not affected by bacteria. Verse 4, and he shall cover you with his feathers, you know, just like a, like a mother hen covering her chicks. And under his wings you shall take refuge, and his truth shall be your shield and your buckler, God's truth. That is our knowledge of the soon coming kingdom and our confidence in it. And you shall not be afraid of the terror by night. And sometimes it's a little scarier, isn't it, at night when you hear things. Nor of the arrow that flies by day. We're talking about open warfare. Nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness. Of course, pestilence, disease, you can't see. Nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, and 10,000 at your right hand. Imagine that as one is led out of society, seeing that kind of destruction. It would be chilling, and yet we can know the promise of God's protection. But it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look. So you'll be able to actually see 
and see the reward of the wicked, that is, those who are rejecting God, who are causing warfare, uh, those who have blasphemed God, the reward of the wicked. What an incredible blessing. What an incredible confidence. Verse 9, Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the Most High your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. In other words, God's going to have his hand on, on you, on us, if we're close to God, if we've finished our training. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Of course, we know Satan used this verse here in tempting Christ, but we can apply it to ourselves here at that time as God leads us out of society. If we're faithful, if God protects us because we've been walking by faith rather than sight. We've been moving closer to God all along. It goes on to say, you shall tread upon the lion and the cobra. We won't do that intentionally, but if it happens, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. It's like saying nothing can harm us on our way out. Because, this is God speaking here in verse 14, because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. And I will set him on high because he has known my name. That is, we know the true God, uh, his character. We've developed his character, at least uh, we've tried to. We're not perfect, but we know what the true God is like, and we have become more and more like him. And he shall call upon me, and I will answer him. That applies to us calling on God. And finally, verse 16, And I will be with him in trouble, and I will deliver him and honor him with long life. You know, that's speaking of eternal life. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. That's physical protection through that time, tribulation, the day of the Lord, and also eternal life in time at Christ's return. Incredible, isn't it, when you think about some of the promises God has given us? Well, finally, let's remember God's promise that he will never leave us or forsake us. That is, if we're with him, if we never leave or forsake him, if we're close to him. Hebrews chapter 13, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. In verse 5 we read, Let your conduct, in other words, how you lead your life, be without covetousness. In other words, don't, don't, Program your life to, to, with greed, that you'll only be happy in the end if you have more and more and more. Don't lust after what others have in the world. Be content with such things as you have, whatever God's allowed you to have that you've worked for. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God promises that. So he says, for now, you have tremendous uh, blessings coming your way in the kingdom of God, even assets, uh, owning the very planet and the assets of the God family. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear. I'm determined to trust God, to not fear, to not allow fear to override my life, to direct my life. I will not fear what man can do to me. So that's God's promise. As we call on God, of course, he will deliver us. He will protect us. We have every reason to be confident as we move closer to God. So we need to remember that we're not traveling this path alone. According to Scripture, our God is with us every step of the way. I think we can all remember, if we've had children, I can remember times when uh, our children were toddlers. You know, you walk along and maybe with your right hand you hold your a little toddler's hand, and they're going along, and maybe they stumble over something, and their knees buckle, and uh, and you hold them up. You keep them from falling. With Maybe it's your right hand, if you're holding them with your right hand, and you stabilize them. And you know, that's exactly what God says he will do for us. He will, he will hold us by his right hand. In other words, his strength, his power. Psalm 139. 
Psalm 139, and let's look at verse 7. 139 and verse 7. Now, this is a reminder, wherever we may be, God is there. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? Not that we would want to, but wherever we find ourselves, God is aware. If I ascend into heaven, in other words, into the skies, you are there, even on a jet plane. If I make my bed in hell, meaning literally the grave in the ground, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, wherever that might be, whatever island, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me, your right hand. It's a symbol of strength. Most of us are right-handed. could be left-handed if you're left-handed. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. You know, we're enlightened with God's truth. God enlightens our life. We're protected as we trust God. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you. But the night shines as the day in our life. You know, we can have that brightness in our life, not, not down in darkness, but being uplifted with God's Spirit and the future. But the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. Speaking of the great God and how God interacts in our life. You know, we can have that same kind of confidence if we move closer to God, we trust God. You know, God tells us so often in so many scriptures, as in Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Fear not. In other words, don't be ruled by fear, even though things may be scary. God says, I'm with you. You can trust God. I can trust God. We know sometimes we don't know the outcome of difficulties, but we put our trust, our confidence in God. But we know in the remaining few years, the pace of world events is going to speed up. Uh, increasingly, things are going to be happening in society. We'll see an utterly unique time in all of human history. Yeah, it's never been before. Yes, Christ referred to our path as firstborn, as narrow and difficult. We know that as part of our lot, but we have every reason to succeed. Our training is at a higher level as firstborn in Satan's world. God is there for us. We can succeed. We will succeed if we have that trust, that confidence in God. I'm reminded of 1 John, 1 John 4, 4, at times when we have concerns of what may happen, uh, even, even of the spirit world, 1 John 4, 4, You are, of God, little children. Okay, we're small, we're tiny, in a sense, in God's sight. You are of God, little children, and I will overcome them, meaning the world, we can, because he who is in you, that is Jesus Christ, God's Spirit, is greater than he who is in the world, meaning Satan, demonic forces, Every other evil that can be arrayed against us, we have that confidence. We can have that trust. God is there for us. We have every reason to succeed. So Jesus Christ, the very creator of the universe, lives his life in us. At least he is willing to. If we're willing to be led by him, to move closer to him, and he can literally empower us to overcome the world, to be right with God if we are trusting God and you know, we don't have a fear or a worry that can overcome us and overwhelm us. So the one who will hold our right hand will also defend us with the power of his might. You know, God is there. He's so much more powerful. And whatever forces of evil may be arrayed against us in the future or personal problems that we might have, things that we think are insurmountable. We can't figure a way out, and yet our God always has a way out. 
as long as we trust God. You know, brethren, there truly is a future and there is a hope. And when the contractions of the birth process comes on stronger, and they will, let's remember God's words of comfort and encouragement. And let's go back to Jeremiah 29. Let's read that encouragement one more time. Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Eternal, thoughts of peace and not of evil. You know, God wouldn't have called us in the first place. Thoughts of peace, success, not of evil, not of defeat. To give you a future and a hope, the future is eternal life in the kingdom of God. The hope is we ourselves personally make it if we're willing, if we're willing to pay the price, so to speak, to live that way of life, which is, a, which is a successful way of life, which is a better way of life, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me, if we do, and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. We can do that now. We can do that in times of trouble. God says... He guarantees he'll hear us if we move closer to him. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. So obviously it can't be done half-heartedly with all your heart. We have to be genuine. We have to be real. We can't be half-hearted, lukewarm, or to use the phrase Laodicean. We have to be sold, convinced, convicted. The way of life works. We've proven it. We're going to succeed with God's help. That's our determination. Well, brethren, over the next eight days, Feast of Tabernacles, the last great day, let's drink in the astounding good news of the hope for the future. That is, the coming kingdom of God. Let's call on God to finish his work that he's given us to do, to open the doors to the kingdom of God for us personally and collectively. May God speed that day.